Jesus' most personal and powerful teachings are conversations with his disciples in the book of John. Nowhere else is his instruction both so simple and so deep. Take your place in the upper room to hear the heart of God that still speaks today. So many years ago, um, there's been a story that's been very popular among pastors. I've used it. And it's, I later found out it's not true. But it's still a great illustration. So I'm going to use it this morning, but just know it's not true. Sound good? So here's the illustration. If you have a frog and you put a frog in hot boiling water, that frog will immediately, when it touches the water, it'll leap out of the pot. The water's hot. Now, if you take that same frog and you put them in a pot with room temperature water and you begin to heat up the water, even slowly or you can do it rapidly, the frog will try to adapt to the changing temperature until it boils itself to death. Now, do not try that unless you have a hungering for or a hankering for frog legs, because it's not true. That actually isn't true, but it's a great illustration of what I'm talking about today. And what we're talking about is a passage where Jesus says, as the world has hated me, so the world will hate you if you live for me in the world. What is happening in our world, in the, in the church, Thank goodness that wasn't me. I'm thinking, something's going on medically. Somebody get a doctor. <laughs> so what we see in John chapter 15 is that Jesus is struggling with his disciples to help them to understand if they're, just as the world has hated him, so the world is going to hate his disciples. Now, that reality will be true until Jesus comes again. And so what happens to us, sometimes we're like that frog in the water that's, where the temperature is just being heated up. And what we do is we try to stay and adapt to our culture over and over and over. And we just keep changing and transforming with the changing temperature. We live in a time when culture is changing. Now, this is true for every culture. This is always true for every culture. But the reality is that as we get further and further from our foundation in the Word of God, in the Scriptures, we can get caught up in the current of a culture that is taking us in the wrong direction. One of our values as a church, one of our seven values, as you know, is that we seek to be rooted in Scripture. And if we don't know the Word of God, or if we are not willing to pay the price, we know the reality is the world will reject us, the world will hate us as they did Jesus, and the world will seek to cancel us. We see that happening today as 
our culture has moved dramatically in the last 20 years further and further from the Word of God. And what happens to us, if we don't know the Word of God, we're just being drawn into that current. And we're being drawn further and further from God's purposes and His design. So as we read this this morning, I want you to keep that image in mind. But it's not just our culture today, as I said. If you look at the Old Testament, it's the story of what happened with Samson. If you don't know that story, Samson and the Israelites had a history of battling against the Philistines. And the Philistines had a very sophisticated way of conquering their enemies. If they couldn't do it militarily, what they would do over time is infiltrate that culture and transform that culture, change that culture to become more and more like the Philistine culture until they got to the point where there really was no difference between that nation's culture and the Philistine culture. And so what did God do? He raised up a judge named Samson. And what Samson did, he became a one-man a one army for God to stand against this changing culture. Things had changed so fast and so far that his own countrymen were angry with him because he was fighting against this nation that was trying to conquer Israel from the inside out. And so he, as he was fighting against the Philistines, the Israel, uh, Israelites were turning him over to the Philistines to be punished. This is how far they had gone down that stream. That's how far they've allowed that, they had allowed that current to pull them away from the word of God and the truth of God. Friends, every culture faces that same challenge and faces that same danger. So I'm going to invite you, if you have your Bibles with you, to turn to John chapter 15. I'm going to begin in verse 18, and I'm going to go to verse 25. Now there's a shift here. If you've been with us in this series, in which we're looking at the last words of Jesus to his disciples before they, uh, Jesus would be arrested and crucified, we uh, have a shift now where Jesus has taught a lot about comforting his people, comforting his disciples, helping them to understand what's coming, giving them wonderful promises of what lie in the future for them. But then we come to verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not, if I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen and they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. What I want to do this morning in the moments that we have together is I want to talk about this passage first from the perspective, why, did the world, why does the world hate Jesus? And then, why will the world hate us 
who seek to walk with Jesus and live out his purposes and his design. So let's look at this first. As we talk about the world, if the world hates you, remember that the world hated me first, Jesus says. So what does he mean by the world? Well, this is a word in the Greek that is the Greek word cosmos. And you, to understand world, you have to understand the context in which it is used. Sometimes world or cosmos has a very positive sense. For example, we see in John 3, 16, for God so loved the what? The world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So what is that saying? It's saying that God loves that which he has created. God loves the people that he has created in his image. He loves you. And his longing is that you would come to believe in Jesus the Son. And through believing in Jesus, you would have a relationship with the Trinity. God the Father, the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so this is the heart of God. In that context, in John 3, 16, world takes on a very positive sense. But often, what we find is world is used in the New Testament, cosmos, to describe something that is not positive at all. In fact, it is evil. And we see this on the screen in this context that we're looking at today. The world is a fallen world system that is controlled by Satan. In, in Ephesians 6, 10 to 20, the Apostle Paul writes that our battle is not against flesh and blood. This is a big mistake that we make. We think our battle is against people. It's not, the Bible says. Our battle is against Satan and the way that he creates a world system that is demonic, that is evil, that is destructive. And sometimes that world system, is the church is part of it or the religious community is part of it. And what we read here is that the world is an evil, fallen world system that is controlled by Satan. Satan works within cultures, and he leads people to create systems that are destructive, systems that are evil, systems that destroy lives, systems that draw people away from God. That's the way that he is using it in this passage. Now, what's interesting is that part of that world as it's used in John 15 is the religious community of this day. It was the religious community that hated Jesus the most, that hated what God was doing the most. And so that's part of what he's talking about here when he's talking about world. Well, let's look at why the world will hate Jesus. Number one, because of the words of Jesus. The words of Jesus. Listen to what we read in verse 22. Jesus said, if I had not come and spoken to them, speaking of the, of the world, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. It's our human tendency, as it was at the time of Jesus with the religious leaders, that we compare ourselves to other people. And we think, well, I've got to be okay because I'm not as bad as my neighbor. Well, we've got to be okay because I'm not as bad as my spouse or my parents or my friends or whatever. And so we have this kind of comparative holiness. Well, that's not, that's not 
what God intends. He wants us to see and, and recognize our sin so that he can transform us into something more beautiful and more usable for the kingdom of God. Now, as I look at this, one of the things I remember I was thinking of is Jesus when he's preaching and all the different things that he taught. So Jesus at one time in the Sermon on the Mount said this. He said, you have heard it said, you shall not murder. Well, that's a good thing, right? But then Jesus says, but I tell you, if you hate someone in your heart, you, have al- you are already guilty of murder. Later he says, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, Jesus said, if you look at someone with lust in your heart, then you are already guilty of adultery. And so what Jesus does is he punctures their sense of self-righteousness. And here's the reality. We don't like that. We don't like people challenging us. We don't like it when God challenges us. We don't like it when God reveals our sin to us. It makes us uncomfortable. Now what's, what we're doing in this series of Lent is you'll notice as we did this morning, we had some time of self-examination where we could silently confess our sin to God. When we do that, we do it before the Lord and we say, Lord, reveal the sin in our lives. Reveal what is true about me that I may confess it and ask you to restore me and to make me into something new. Friends, deep down, if we only understood the power of this to transform us, We would long for God to reveal our sin to us that we may confess it and repent and allow the Spirit of God to make us into something new. I remember many, many years ago, I was at a prayer conference and we were confessing our sin at this conference. And they went for like 45 minutes. And I was done in about 30 seconds. Let's face it, there just wasn't a whole lot there. And I'm thinking, boy, these are some naughty people. And so I'm, I'm finally, I'm, you know, my mind's wandering, and then, I, and then I pray, oh, God, if there is anything else here, would you reveal it to me? I'm just so confident. Three days later, I was teaching out of the Sermon on the Mount, and it was talking about hypocrites. And I'm thinking, yeah, there's a lot of hypocrites out here. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God breaks through and reveals my hypocrisy. I got to tell you, it just, it flattened me. For two reasons. One, I had not seen the hypocrisy in my life before, but it was there. I had never seen it. I'd never recognized it. And it was there. And it just, It just wiped me out. The second part of that was to see and realize how my hypocrisy was affecting other people. I didn't want to be one person in the church and another person at home. I didn't want to present myself as this person who loved God and and loved the Word of God and was just going through the motions. It was one of the greatest, most painful things that I've ever gone through in my life, and it was an incredible gift from God. Because when I went through this process and it lasted a couple of years of God just really revealing things in my life and me confessing and asking God, 
to deal with it in my life and to, and to set me free from these things. And to see God do that, it made me a better husband, a better dad. It made me a better pastor. It made me a better son. It made me a better brother. It made me a better friend. It's painful to face the reality of who we are. And the Word of God says about itself that it's a two-edged sword that cuts our soul as it reveals who we really are, that we may become something more. Until I know who I am, how can I be free from what I was? I want to be free. I don't want to be what I claim to be. I want to be who God is wanting me to be. But to come to that point, I've got to be able to look honestly at myself in the Spirit of God and say, this is who I am. God set me free. God set me free. It is one of the hardest things for us, I think, as people to acknowledge who we really are. But we won't be free in life as we really long to be free until we begin that process and deal with it. And as God begins to stir in our soul, as God reveals things, what he does, he doesn't leave us there, but he begins to set us free from those very things. This is a story that I read many years ago. It's a, it's a story about a, um, a missionary in Central Africa. And this missionary is doing work for the Lord, and this is a new area it's a new area that finally the gospel has gone to. And one day, the wife of a leader, a chief of a local tribe, wandered into his camp. And outside his house, on a tree, he had a mirror. And he used that mirror for shaving and different things. And she was coming. She worshipped false gods. She was all painted. They always painted their faces as a sign of their worship of their false gods. The missionary had a little mirror hung up on a tree, and this woman comes, and she sees her face for the first time clearly in this mirror. Listen to how she responds. She sees the paintings on her face and her hardened features. Now, gazing at her own face, she was startled, and she asked the missionary, who is that terrible person, looking person, who's inside that tree? And the missionary said, it's not the tree. The glass is reflecting your own face, your own image. She couldn't believe it until he took the mirror off the tree and he handed it to her and she looked in and again she saw the painting on her face, the ugliness of that and her hardened, mean, mean look on her face. And so she says, I must have this glass. How much will you sell it for? The missionary didn't want to sell the mirror, but he also knew he was trying to reach this tribe with the gospel, and he knew that he needed to do this in order to maintain a relationship with them. So they, they bartered, came upon a price, and he gives her the mirror, and the first thing she does, she takes that mirror and she slams it to the ground, and it breaks because she didn't want to see what was really there. I think the reason I remembered that story over the years is because so often that's me. I don't want to see what's really there. But Jesus, through his teaching, as we see it in the, in the Bible, be, continues to challenge, continues to, to poke at my heart and my soul to help me to become more. 
But it wasn't just the words of Jesus, it was also the works of Jesus. Verse 24, if I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. So what does that have to do with? What's he talking about there? When Jesus did the miracles that he did, it was to reveal to the people who he really was. I am fully human and I am fully God. Who else could do the things that I have done? And as Jesus pushed back against the religious community of his day, as he did things that no other religious leader would do, like befriending the broken, like coming alongside those that had been, had been separated from society, the lepers, the prostitutes, and Jesus, he expressed the love of God for these people, tax collectors, all the people that had been had been pushed away from society. As Jesus lived this life that reflected the heart of God, everything that he did became a sermon to the people, and they pushed back against him, and they hated him for it. A couple of days ago on Friday, as I was with my dad, and we were reading the Bible together, we were reading from John chapter 9, and Jesus had healed this man that was born blind. I want you to hear this. The religious leaders pull the man in because they're angry that, that he was healed on the Sabbath. They're not excited for what God had done in the life of this man born blind. They're angry that it was done on the Sabbath. And they're angry that it was Jesus. Listen to the conversation. They said, we know that God spoke to Moses, the religious leader said, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. What is he saying? This man is from God. This man that you hate, this man that you reject, this man that you cancel, he comes from God. He comes from God. And so how do they respond? You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Friends, the acts of Jesus, the works of Jesus, they point to who he really is. And you claim that Jesus is God and, God, and Jesus is fully human? Many in the world will hate you for that very statement. One of the sermons, or the, apparently I don't follow this, but a sermon that I gave one time on just the nature of God in the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons, revealed as three persons. That one sermon got more negative comments online, was 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 attacked more than any other sermon I've ever preached. I mean, that just seems so basic to me. Why? Because I'm talking about the nature of God, and the world does not want to hear that Jesus is fully man and fully God. They don't want to hear it. Because if that's true, if He is God, what do we do? We lay our lives before Him. We worship Him. We follow him. The third reason that they hated 
Jesus is because they rejected his father. We read this. They will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. As it is, they have seen and they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in the law. They hated me without reason. There is no reason to hate Jesus. For he lived out the life that God, perfectly the life that God had called him to live. And Jesus throughout this passage says, they're not just rejecting me, they're rejecting my Father for all I do is what I see the Father doing. All I say is what I hear the Father saying. Now friends, here's the reality. As we live out our life faithfully in relationship to God, as we reveal and carry on the works of Jesus and we repeat the words of Jesus, the world will hate us as it hates Jesus, as it hates the Father. So we come to this. The world will hate the disciples. Why? Jesus says, because we identify with Him. Now, what does it mean to identify with Him? I follow Him. I speak of Him. I proclaim Him. I live for Him. And hopefully one day when I die, I die for Him. As we remain faithful to who he is. So what do we read here? If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. We're not greater than our master. If they hated Jesus and we are identifying with Jesus and we are living for Jesus, then the world will hate us. If they obeyed my teaching, they will also obey yours. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Here's what he's saying. They hate the God the Father. They hate the Son who, whom he sent, and they will hate us for standing for Jesus. Some of you already know this. You've been canceled. You've been rejected. You've been hated. You've had things said about you. You've had people that have kind of pushed you out of their lives because they don't want to hear about Jesus. And we stand for Jesus. I remember both of my, uh, both of my daughters, when they were in high school, we, our kids were at a public school that had, um, almost all the teachers were Christians and the administrators were Christians. It was an amazing school. But here's what was so interesting. They had a rule that when you played sports, if you were caught drinking or doing drugs or doing anything that was inappropriate, cheating or anything else, you would not be able to participate in sports for the next year. That kept kids walking the straight and narrow. It didn't make their hearts straight and narrow. And what happened in both my daughter's cases as seniors, as the kids, their, their last season of sports ended, they went crazy. And they began to do things that weren't right. And my girls are not judgmental, but they would say, hey, we shouldn't be doing that. We shouldn't be doing that. This is wrong. And they wouldn't participate. What happened? They got canceled. They got rejected. And to this day, they don't have relationships with most of those people that they loved. They loved. 
Friends, when we stand for Jesus, it should not surprise us that we get canceled. It should not surprise us that people will hate us. We see it happening in our world today. I've never seen a time when Christianity was more not popular. And you know what? This is interesting. When I was growing up, being a Christian, everybody was a Christian, right? Everybody was a Christian. That has changed dramatically in our, in our culture today. And we see a lot of things being said about Christians. Some true, a lot of it not true. And a lot of it is because we have not lived well, as I'll close with in a moment, as we have lived in the world. And we've made mistakes. But we need to stand firm. We should not be silent. We should not run. We should not hide. We should be bold in obedience to God. This is how we are to live in the world. We identify with Jesus. And then second, we choose not to belong to this world in the ways that it is contrary to the ways of God. If you belong to this world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to this world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. My identity is not first and foremost as an American citizen, although I love my culture, uh, my na- I should, not my culture, I love my nation. I love America. But my identity first and foremost is I am a child of God and I belong to him now and forevermore. I belong to God. My citizenship is in heaven first and foremost. And so what does all of this mean for us? What does all of this mean? I want you to think about your life today because I see two extremes and I see truth in the middle. Here's one extreme. One extreme is that we will just go along with the current of our culture. One extreme is wherever the culture goes, I will follow it. If the culture now believes this, I will believe it. And we don't measure culture against what the Word of God teaches. And so so instead of taking a stand and saying, no, that's not appropriate, that's not right, we need to stand against that, what we do is we just get in and allow that strong current, which is very strong today, stronger than, than I have experienced in my lifetime, and just let it wash me down the river. Now, what does it mean for us to take a stand? It means that we know what the Word of God teaches, and we stand firm in the commands of God and in a biblical worldview. Now, the other extreme, and this is what has gotten the church, I think, where we've, we've kind of lost our way a little bit, and that is as the world hates us, as the world cancels us, as the world rejects us, what do we do? We hate it in return. And we attack the world as the world attacks us. Friends, I don't see anywhere in this passage where we are called to hate the world in return. Jesus did not hate the world. Jesus sought to speak truth in the world. He never compromised. He never backed down. But he 
did not hate the world. And, and Jesus does not call us to hate the world in return. So what is, what would be something that would be appropriate? Well, let me suggest this this morning. And we see Jesus live it out with Nicodemus, the woman at the well. We see Jesus living it out with people who are living lifestyles that were in opposition to the Word of God, that were following a worldview that was in opposition to the Word of God. What do we do? We engage the world. We engage the world without compromise. We engage the world without anger and without hatred. We engage the world in the Spirit. And we sit down and we have conversation with people. Friends, when we hate people, all we're doing is pushing them stronger into their position. All we're doing is pushing them into a corner where we're forcing them to fight back. But what if we were showing the love of, and grace of God by sitting with people, listening, again, not compromising, but with respect, with honor, with empathy, we were able to have conversation with them. Friends, the goal isn't to win an argument. The goal is to help people to, to know Jesus and to see that the way of Jesus is better than the way of the world. To understand that the way of Jesus is going to bring us to a culture that not only honors God, but is good for everybody. My goal is not to attack people because they are saying things I don't like, and I know is contrary to the Word of God. My goal is to help them to see a better way. It's the way of Jesus. It's the way of truth. It's the way of life. It's the road to joy and to peace, as we've seen the last few weeks. It's the way to love and to be loved. And we discover it as we open our hearts to Jesus and let him be the one who leads and guides our lives. This summer, we're doing a series, as many of you know, where we are responding to questions you have. So you get to turn in questions, and we'll take them, and we'll respond to all the easy ones. <laughs> we'll respond to your questions, and already by looking at them, there's some really challenging questions. And there are going to be things that we're going to look at in the Word of God together. And it's going to be hard for some of us. I know it. I know it'll be hard. But friends, we want to remain in relationship together. We want to talk together. We want to see together what the Word of God says to our culture today. And we want to do it in a way that honors each other. And I want to do that with people that don't agree with me, that people that might hate me that might want to cancel me. I want to sit down and have conversation with them that regardless of how they treat me, I want to respond to them with warmth, empathy, respect, and honor because that's the way that God calls us to live. We don't have to hate. We don't have to compromise. There is another way. And I wonder if we didn't change as a, as a Christian church in America, if we didn't change our approach, if we would be able to influence culture 
in a much more effective manner. Will you pray with me? Our fathers, we live in a world that hates you, where worldviews are dominated and controlled by Satan. Lord, we pray that we as Christians would be light in darkness, that we would love in ways that would draw the world that's hungry to love and to be loved, that's hungry for what we have, peace and joy, that's hungry to know the living God. Lord, speak to our hearts. First and foremost, we want to be your disciples, laying our hearts before you, our lives before you, and inviting you to challenge us and to transform us. And Lord, we also pray this morning that you would help us to know how to stand against that which in, in our culture is not of you, and to do it in a manner that is reflective of who you are. We ask this in Jesus' name, and for the sake of his kingdom, in this nation, in this community, in this world. Amen. Amen.